Ladies and gentlemen, I hereby declare Cassidy Caron, the president of the Métis National Council, with a vote of 25 to 15. Today, we begin a new era, one of accountability, of transparency, and of governing on behalf of the entire Métis Nation. That's Métis National Council President Cassidy Caron making her victory speech as she became the first female elected as the president of the MNC just over two years ago. She joins us as our guest on this episode of One Nation, Many Stories, a podcast brought to you by the Métis National Council. Tonse, I'm Matt LeMay, host of One Nation, Many Stories. I'm a citizen of the Métis Nation of Ontario with roots in the Red River, Drummond Island, and Penetanguishene. I'm also a documentary filmmaker and co-founder of Indigenous Geographic. In this podcast, we'll be bringing you inspiring, heartfelt stories and interviews from the Métis people who make up the colourful tapestry of our proud nation. We're calling today's episode, One Nation, Many Leaders, with a focus on one specific leader, Cassidy Karen. Pope Francis sat and, and he listened and he, he nodded along when our, our survivors told their stories and our survivors did an incredible job in that meeting of standing up and telling their truths. I am extremely proud of the work that we've done in the last year and a half at the Métis National Council. As we promote Métis self-determination and continue to work in partnership with Canada, as we promote our joint priorities, we will continue to fulfill our roles as representatives of the Métis Nation and signatories to the Canada-Métis Nation Accord. We have, of course, our heroes of the Métis Nation, Louis Riel and Gabriel Dumont, but there's been some really incredible women leaders in the background that have done so much incredible work to help the nation get to where we are today. And so, you know, I take it on as, as my responsibility to start uncovering some of those stories. President Karen and I met in the Métis National Council offices in Ottawa. Given the setting, some of the conversation is about politics. But we also get into her life story, her childhood in British Columbia, her Métis family roots in Batoche, her rise to become MNC president in her late 20s, and, as we heard in that soundbite just now, the women who inspired her and continue to give her advice in her role as Métis leader. President Karen, welcome to One Nation, Many Stories. Thank you very much, Matt. So it's been two years since you arrived on the national political scene. Let's start our conversation what life was like for you before entering national Indigenous politics. Who is Cassidy Karen? Where did you grow up? And who is your family? <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Um, so yeah, life before becoming the president of the Métis National Council, um, I would say it was busy, certainly not as busy as I am today. Uh, I was really fortunate to grow up always knowing who I am as a Métis person. Um, my my mom and my grandma raised me in a small town in British Columbia, Rossland, British Columbia. Um, but I was really fortunate knowing that I was Métis uh, growing up outside of my homeland. So my, my grandmother is Marie Odile Boucher. Uh, she is a, one of the Bouchers who uh, her family had settled in St. Louis, Saskatchewan, a historic Métis community along the banks of the South Saskatchewan River. And my grandfather is Jean-Baptiste Caron and his family is from Batoche. Uh, his grandfather's homestead still stands 
on the grounds of Batash, those really sacred lands where our people fought for our rights and fought for our way of, of life. Um, and those roots are strong in me. And I was really fortunate to, although be, I was raised off of my traditional homelands, to know where I came from and, and to know who I am. Um, to have the opportunity to go back to Saskatchewan as a child, uh, you know, for family reunions, for weddings, for funerals, um, and spend that time on the land. Um, it's a it's a different story for a lot of folks who grow up in BC, a lot of Métis folks who grow up in British Columbia, because a lot of our families moved away from the Métis Nation homeland um, into British Columbia seeking work, which is what my family ended up doing. My grandma and my grandpa moved to trail British Columbia to find work um, at the smelter uh, to be able to raise their family. And during those times you know it wasn't always safe to say that you were Métis it wasn't safe to be a half-breed um, so a lot of people hid that from their families um, and I think for a certain amount of time perhaps my my grandparents did uh, they tried to blend in as uh, a French family they spoke French at home um, while also actually speaking Machif um, but outside of the home, they wouldn't speak Machif. They would just speak English. Uh, my grandfather always told my mom that it's rude to speak a language that most people don't understand, so only speak English. Um, but my mom raised me knowing that I was Métis, and I think that's really unique because a lot of people are just coming back to their roots now and understanding where their families came from. So growing up in BC, uh, that's, uh, it was a really a beautiful place to grow up. Um, after high school, I went to university on Vancouver Island. I grad uh, graduated with my degree in Indigenous Studies and History, worked for a short amount of time with the provincial government of British Columbia, and then kind of dove into a world of consulting right away. I did uh, research and program evaluation for a lot of social programs that were run in Indigenous communities all across the country. Uh, what I did throughout all of that time, though, was I, I really tried to remain connected to community. Um, when I was living in Rossland and growing up there, I spent a lot of time at community events with the Chartered Métis community, uh, the Kootenai South Métis community. When I moved to the island, I stayed really connected with the Nanaimo community um, and the youth who were going to school at Vancouver, uh, Vancouver Island University and uh, University of Victoria. And that's kind of how I got introduced to Métis Nation British Columbia uh, at the provincial level. They had a really great program for young people, um, a lot of different cultural activities, a lot of political activities for the young people as well. Um, and that's when I dipped my toes first into Métis politics. Um, in 2016, I ran to be the provincial youth Métis, uh, provincial Métis youth representative and the minister responsible for youth. Um, so I so served a term for years with Métis Nation British Columbia while working um, in, in BC and then uh, took a break after 2020. Um, it was the well beginning of the pandemic. Uh, I moved out to Ontario with my now husband. Um, we bought a home. I started my master's in community development and you know still throughout all of that time stayed really connected to the Métis Nation. 
Um, I had a lot of opportunities when I was a youth representative to be exposed to national Métis politics. There was not a lot of young people who were involved at that time on the national scene, so I had a lot of different opportunities there. Um, and yeah, from there, you know, we saw that there was uh, changes afoot with the Métis National Council. We saw that there was um, likely going to be an election happening for the Métis National Council president. Um, and I just kind of uh, kept my finger on the pulse throughout that whole time until I was asked by a number of people to, to run for this position. And, and here I am today. Excellent. I know. And what a ride it's been. So... Politics have always been um, a big part of your life, but who and what has been your major influences in terms of driving that um, that real desire to to participate in the political process, especially within Métis politics? Mm-hmm. I, definitely my mom. Uh, so my mother, Anna Karen, uh, she was always really involved in, in the community. Um, so we had the chartered community back home in Rossland and Trail and the Kootenays. Um, and I think growing up as a, a kid, I, I saw the value of, of being connected to community. Um, but for me, it didn't, it didn't feel political back then. Uh, now looking back on it though, my family has always been very political. Um, even just so much as, you know, my grandma and my mom always encouraging me as soon as you are of age, you have to vote. You have to vote to have your voice heard. Uh, my family has always been really civically engaged. Um, and so I, I'd say just growing up, um, my family was just always political, always talking about how, you know, you have opportunities to influence positive change. And those opportunities will come in different shapes and sizes. They will come in different forms. Uh, and you'll find different ways of being able to influence change. And so that's always something that's really driven me to get to where I am today is thinking about um, my goals of always wanting to create positive change and then I would always think to myself, you know, I want to create positive change and I want to find something that makes me happy. Um, and I would always ask myself those two questions when new opportunities arose. You know, is this an opportunity to continue influencing positive change? And, um, and is this opportunity, uh, you know, filling my cup? Is this making me happy? And if it was a yes to both of those things, I would do it. And I was exposed to a lot of different people who um, were politically involved throughout all of those years. Um, first and foremost, when I was uh, thinking of running for Métis Nation British Columbia, uh, President uh, Bruce Dumont uh, was the president of Métis uh, Nation British Columbia. And uh, I really looked up to him and the work that he was doing for MNBC at the time. I thought, you know, that is a very strong uh, traditional Métis man uh, wanting to influence positive change. And, and he certainly encouraged me to run, and, and I thank him. But there's also folks who are politically involved in different ways. You know, our artists are definitely politically involved. And I had a lot of artists uh, influence my decisions to run uh, politically. And then certainly elders that I had been exposed to throughout my life um, have have always said, you know, there's different ways of being politically involved. There's different ways of creating change. Just find the space that uh, that you fit and and do something good for your community. And so there's been a number of people who have been influences, but uh, it certainly started with my mom. So one of the really interesting relationships you've cultivated over the course of your your presidency is you you develop a relationship with uh, Maria Campbell, who's arguably the most celebrated uh, Métis author in the nation. Would you tell us a little bit about about that relationship? Yeah, it's. Uh 
and not just Maria, but a number of Métis Cookums across the Métis Nation homeland um, who I've been able to build relationships with over the last two years. Um, but for, for sure, Maria being one of those. Um, and I reached out to Maria when I, I got elected. Uh, it was on the advice of a number of individuals who told me that I need to build a circle around me, a circle of support. And actually, more specifically, people said, I need to build a circle of really strong Métis women uh, around me to, to support me. And somebody suggested that I reach out to Maria Campbell. And so I had the opportunity to, to reach out to her um, and introduce myself. And um, if funny enough, you know, uh, when I first reached out to Maria, I introduced myself, I shared who I am and where my family comes from. And, and her response was, Oh, my dear, I know exactly who you are. And, uh, and that really was uh, meant so much to me. Um, because I didn't know Maria before um, I became president personally. I, of course, knew who she was and, and agree that she is somebody who is a, a force to be reckoned with. She has told the Métis story um, in such a truthful way uh, for individuals across this country and across the world to, to know who we are and where we came from. And I have so much respect for her. Um, so it's been an honor to to have her as as an advisor um, throughout my presidency. But also, like I say, I, I also have a, a council of uh, of grandmothers um, who I have the opportunity to work with. And my council of grandmothers is uh, is comprised of uh, Métis Cookums from each one of our Métis provinces. And it's been you know individuals who I had known before I was president, but also those who I've met within my first year. And at our first annual general assembly, I, I had our, our grandmother's council sit at the front of our assembly, trying to, you know, bring back some of those old ways of, of doing business. Um, you know, I think about the old ways of, of Métis decision-making and undoubtedly knowing that it was our, our Métis matriarchs who influenced decisions in the background and how much respect Métis people have for our grandmothers. And so having our Métis grandmothers council sit at the front of our assembly really was important so that everybody was on their best behavior, making decisions that are informed by our past, but also thinking about our future. And, uh, and today I, I continue to have the, the privilege of getting to pick up the phone and, you know, call Sadie from British Columbia, call Angie and Josie and Rita and Maria, every opportunity that I get. And it's been wonderful. And uh, Diane also from, from Alberta. But that Grandmother's Council has been instrumental in supporting me in the work that I do. And, and it really has been that circle of Métis women um, around me that kind of naturally formed when I became president that I, I lean on and I call on for support when, when days are tough. Excellent. And this is a really big year. It's the 40th anniversary of the Métis National Council. How has the Métis National Council been working to advance the rights and interests of Métis people across Canada? And what are the key priorities and milestones have you achieved in the past two years that you really want to, you're really proud of and really want to talk about? Sure. So, so yeah, it's the 40th anniversary of the Métis National Council. And that's a huge milestone. 
uh, I've had the opportunity over the last year to sit down with a number of uh, individuals, Métis folks, who were around 40 years ago, who were really involved in the creation of the Métis National Council. And it's been a privilege for me to get to sit down with them and say, you know, why did why did you think that the Métis National Council was needed? And what was the original intent of, of those founders of the Métis National Council? And I think it's really important to spend, you know, this year, our 40th year, reflecting on on why the Métis National Council is a national Indigenous organization, why it was necessary at the time 40 years ago to have one strong, unique Métis voice at the national and international level to advance Métis uh, rights, Métis priorities, Métis interests, and to have that distinct voice within you know, the national capital um, and on the international stage. And so I've, I've heard many different stories of, of why the Métis National Council came to be 40 years ago. And then thinking back to what the Métis National Council has achieved over the last 40 years, it's incredible to see the steps forward and sometimes the steps backwards that the Métis Nation has taken over the last 40 years. But this year specifically is really important because it's, it's time to start thinking ahead. It's time to start thinking about where does the Métis National Council need to go now? And that was one of the big influences in why I chose to run for Métis National Council president was, you know, I spent my time at Métis Nation British Columbia. I had built relationships within each of the Métis governments with the leadership from each Métis government and different citizens across the Métis Nation homeland. Um, And I could see that there had been such advancement of our Métis governments over the last, you know, 10 or so years, um, really rapid advancement within the last five to seven. And I saw the Métis National Council kind of in this stagnant space. Um, It wasn't advancing alongside of our Métis governments. Our Métis governments were progressing in, you know, the recognition towards self-government. They are progressing in their ability to deliver programs and services for Métis citizens within their jurisdictions. But the Métis National Council was kind of just in, in its old place. And it, it seemed like it was lost. And I saw an opportunity to run for the Métis National Council president to bring the Métis National Council into a place that it could advance alongside of our Métis governments. Our Métis governments need a space for collaboration. They need a space to come together to identify the common priorities of the Métis nation. They they still need one common voice um, on the, the areas that affect all of us at the national and the international level is incredibly important as well. And so these 40, the last 40 years have been incredible for the Métis Nation, but we still need to be thinking about the next few steps. So when I ran for Métis National Council president, you know, I was thinking, how do we bring the Métis National Council uh, into into the same realm of our Métis governments to create a space where we can all be working together on the areas that we need to be working together on while respecting our Métis government's jurisdictions and recognizing that they're all in different places and they all need different things at different times, but there's always going to be common priorities that the Métis Nation needs to work on together. And that remains the same as 
those original founders of the Métis National Council 40 years ago. They recognized that the Métis Nation, we are one Métis Nation, we need one strong voice at the national level, and and that's the same as it is today. And so we've been able to do a lot of work over the last two years, and then again this year being the 40th anniversary of the Métis National Council, to bring our Métis governments together to show them that there are different ways of working together, to find those common areas of priority. Um, you know, one of the biggest ones that we've been trying to advance for decades now and have come close, and I say, you know, we take steps back, um, is being able to negotiate equitable health care for Métis citizens across the entire Métis nation. Um, we are behind in delivering on equitable health care for Métis citizens. And that's one of those common priorities where we can all come together to advocate at the federal level for, uh, you know, Métis uh, programs and services that are distinct to our needs and distinct to our ways of, of life and our ways of being, our ways of knowing. Uh, and so hopefully, you know, that's one of those files that's priority right now. It has been priority for the last few decades, but one that we can continue to move forward on. Another one of those priorities of our Métis governments and uh, a role that I'm playing here in, at the national capital um, is advancing Métis self-government. Three of our four Métis governments right now have self-government agreements signed with the federal uh, government. And uh, we're trying to get through a piece of legislation which serves as a, a cradle, an anchor for Métis self-government. Self-government is an inherent right for us as Métis people. And there have been times in our history where we get close to, you know, realizing those dreams of our ancestors, uh, having our rights realized and respected. But then, you know, a change of government happens or a shift in priorities and we take two steps back again. This self-government legislation will serve as an anchor uh, within the federal system so that we can't move backwards anymore. It is going to serve as that cradle or that anchor where we can only continue to move forward. Of course, there is still a significant amount of work to fully negotiate and implement self-government, but self-government legislation is one of those pieces that is necessary for us to continue to move forward. And I'm happy to be here in Ottawa to build relationships with uh, members of parliament from you know all parties to help educate them on who the Métis are, who Métis people are, what our history is, why we have the right to self-government, and what this legislation will do for the Métis Nation and for Canada um, in the future. Because that's something that we always are looking at is, you know, our priorities as Métis people are oftentimes very similar to the priorities that the federal government has. Um, but we need to insert ourselves and, and put ourselves at the forefront. And so finding those different, uh, you know, similarities in, in our priorities and, and advancing us in that way. And so self-government is one of those uh, priorities that we're continuing to work on today. Excellent. One of the things I was thinking about too, since we started the, the podcast, sort of reflectively looking at, at, you know, your election at the very beginning, I think one of the very first files that you had to deal with was the papal visit, mm -hmm. and which became a huge headline, you know, which uh, saw you lead a group of Me uh, a Métis delegation to Rome to visit with uh, Pope Francis, and then again in the summertime. Um, I know you are just back from Isle Cross, Saskatchewan, where you had a chance to meet with, with survivors who are still waiting for justice. And it's, uh, 
it's been a year and a half since the papal uh, apology in Rome. It's been a little over a year since uh, you know the Holy Father visited visited Canada, made an apology. What has happened in the past year, and from your perspective, what needs to happen for reconciliation really to be realized for the Métis people? So there's certainly a lot that has happened in the last two decades to continue to advance us towards, you know, this place of reconciliation that was termed by by the government. Um, there's many different pieces that need to fall into place and recognizing that reconciliation is a journey and it's not a destination. Uh, the papal visit was certainly a, a momentous occasion where we were able to bring a number of Métis survivors to the Vatican to meet with Pope Francis to tell their story. And what is most significant about that is that the Métis story of residential schools is still one that goes untold. Uh, we are telling our story now um, in more different ways. And of course, our, our first podcast uh, had um, the focus on Isle Cross. Uh, but Métis experiences at residential schools is something that we need to continue talking about. And we need to continue talking about it until that file is uh, is is closed. Um, and what that looks like is the federal government recognizing a number of institutions that saw through Métis children um, through these residential schools, and Isle Lacrosse being one of those one of those schools. There's so much importance in having those stories believed. Um, that's what I learned when I spent time with survivors over in Rome and then survivors throughout the journey of uh, Pope Francis coming to Canada and, and stopping in, in three different places across this country and then all the areas in between and then up until last week on the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Our survivors are so incredibly resilient and they are telling their stories loud now. They want their stories heard because they need that recognition to continue down the pathway of healing. They need that recognition for our future generations. When we talk about every child matters, we need people to understand that Métis children matter too. And those, those survivors who tell their stories today, we need to remember that they were children when all of this happened to them. And that they're telling their stories now so that they can create a positive change for the future so that they can have recognition, they can have their compensation, but more importantly, they can have justice. Uh, because they've been left out of these processes and, and that's absolutely unfair to them. Um, but the time, it needs to happen now. Uh, there was a, a conference for Métis residential schools in Saskatchewan that took place in last March. Since then, we've lost 17 survivors from Isle Lacrosse specifically. And those 17 survivors have passed away now without knowing whether or not that recognition will ever come and they've shared their stories and they've been so brave and we can't have that anymore. We're losing survivors day by day and it's time for the federal government and the provincial government of Saskatchewan to come to the table to negotiate and to recognize that Métis went through the exact same experiences as First Nations and Inuit and, and we need to move on from this. One of the things I've I've noticed too, I mean, you're you're obviously uh, based in Ottawa now, and you're doing a lot of work with Indigenous organizations, Indigenous governments, and there's been a lot of uh, 
a lot of work done, a lot of nation-to-nation building. Can you talk a little bit about that experience and how important that is, you know, to work collectively? I'm thinking back to uh, specifically, you know, your um, your visit to Rome where you traveled with AFN and ITK and you've been doing a lot of work uh, in Ottawa with a lot of organizations and governments and uh, how important that work is to really work as allies in terms of, you know, everyone being able to see their, uh, their agendas realized. Mm-hmm. So when I ran to be president of the Métis National Council, I, I ran on uh, three kind of key ideas. Uh, one of those was respecting Métis democracy, uh, you know, getting back to the table and, and respecting our democratic institutions as Métis people, uh, the, the General Assembly being one of those where we get our uh, mandate from, uh, from elected Métis uh, Métis officials from across the Métis Nation homeland, uh, respecting Métis democracy. Uh, the second one, um, you know, was restoring dignity to the office of the Métis National Council, um, and and bringing the Métis National Council back up to a place where we are working with transparency. We are working with accountability. Uh, we are a good partner to our Métis governments and to the federal government, and working in a good way. Um, and the third piece was around um, rebuilding relationships. As a young person, I was always raised to build strong relationships. And I think that's been critical in supporting me to get to where I am today, is putting relationships first. I had seen that a lot of relationships had been uh, burned, um, tarnished that there was a lot of work that needed to be put back into to relationship building. And that was relationship building, you know, with our Métis governments, with Métis communities and Métis citizens. We need to rebuild trust as, as an institution here at the national level. Um, we need to rebuild relationships with the federal government um, and to rebuild the trust there as well. But I also had um, it in me that we needed to rebuild relationships and we still continue to always need to foster those relationships with our First Nations and our Inuit kin. And one of the first things that I did when I arrived in Ottawa was I wrote letters to um, the National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations and to President Obed um, from Inuit Taparit Kanatomi, uh, the National Inuit Organization. And uh, just to reach out and say, let's share a cup of tea, uh, let's have a visit, let's get to know one another and find the different areas where we can be working together because we all share uh, common um, mandates of advocating at the national level. And it's not, um, it's not new for First Nations, Métis, and Inuit to be working together on issues of, of common priority, to come together to lobby the federal government for our inherent rights uh, to be recognized. That's not new. Um, but I realized that it hadn't been happening in a good way. And so I've had the opportunity to now build relationships at this national level with other national Indigenous leaders. Um, of course, when we went to Rome, the unity piece between First Nations, Métis, and Inuit coming together on that shared priority area of having our stories heard with, with um, Pope Francis to make sure residential school survivors um, received an apology from the Catholic Church. We came together on that, that, that shared priority 
And I think it really, um, that really showed the world what can happen when we work together. And I have an elder who, she calls me a couple times a week now, and every single time she asks me, uh, are you still working with the First Nations and the Inuit? Because that's important. And and I am, and I have the opportunity to to meet regularly with uh, with President Obed um, to find different areas where our teams can even work together. You know, um, the development of the action plan for the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, uh, AFN, ITK, MNC. We came together to find those areas of common priority and and advocate. Uh, the government to include those shared priority areas for that action plan and so those relationships are so important here at the national level Um, you know I recognize that the government wants us to not work together because they know that we're stronger together and there are different things that happen in this country that turn us against one another Um, but there are so many things that we need to be working together on. We need to get to know one another. We need to know, you know, what are what's driving each of our priorities and and how can we how can we support one another? How can we be working together in better ways? And so relationship building was that third piece when I when I ran two years ago that I really wanted to focus on. And I recognize that that's not a checkbox that I can say, check, we're done. We're done relationship building because relationships, as I've said before, are built over 100 cups of tea. And that, uh, that really just means that you need to put in the work for relationships. You need to spend time fostering those relationships and, and it's not a one and done. Um, so relationship building will continue to always be one of my priorities. And, uh, and every single day I'm thinking about how we can continue to build better relations. Super. In the in the spirit of relationship building, I'm thinking back to March of uh, of this year when the uh, ITK and EMNC had the first tea and bannock cup, which was a lot of fun. I was in the arena. I had a chance to see all the excitement. Uh, it was full. Why don't you take us through that? Because I mean, that was quite an exciting moment for the Métis National Council and uh, and your team. Yeah, we we hosted the the tea and bannock cup, and it was a hockey game uh, between the Métis National Council and Inuit Tapreet Kanatomi, and it was really um, the idea of President Obed. Um, we we do so much serious work every single day here in Ottawa and across for us the Métis Nation homeland um, that you know it's it's really important to find some time to have some fun and that's important in that relationship building piece as well and we know that hockey is a sport it's a game that brings our communities together Um, and so we were able to have a game between mnc and itk Um, mnc we brought together a team um, of some really incredible hockey players um, from a 13 years old to you know 70 years old we had uh, a survivor from Isle Cross actually come and play on our hockey team and I think he was one of the better players on our team but we had players from British Columbia to Ontario um, and of all ages uh, you know and uh, we had never played together but it was so much fun 
Um, it was fun for, for us to get to have that time with ITK as well, um, as well as some cabinet ministers at the time too. Uh, it was Minister Lametti from, from the Department of Justice and Minister Miller, who was then the uh, Crown Indigenous Relations Minister. They came out and played with us. And it's, again, finding those areas of, of common priority and common, common ground where we can come together and, and, and build those relationships. So we played the game and it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I, I like to bug President Obad about this, but MNC did win the game. Uh, it was very close, which is, it's even more fun uh, when the game is close and it's friendly. Um, but Métis National Council took home the, the Tea and Bannock Cup last year, and we look forward to another game this year. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it for sure. So looking forward, I mean, it's the 40th anniversary of the Métis National Council. Um, from your perspective, what's your vision for the future of the Métis National Council and, and the Métis Nation uh, in general? It's, it's still to build this as an institution where our Métis governments come together to advance those common priorities. And that takes time to change the ways that we have always worked together. Um, it takes time to create the different spaces and opportunities as, of how we work together. Um, but moving forward, you know, we're still going to continue seeking our democratic mandate from the General Assembly, uh, implementing that alongside of our Board of Governors and being that national distinct Métis voice in Ottawa and on the international stage. Um, and doing this work in a good way, uh, doing this, making sure that everything is done um, with accountability and transparency, respecting Métis democracy and, and building relationships. That's the best that we can do moving forward um, to continue to build trust, uh, to continue telling our stories. Uh, you know, we, we spend this time in Ottawa advocating for our priorities and oftentimes we find ourselves having to go all the way back to the very beginning with individuals within the federal government who are making decisions on our behalf every single day who don't even know who the Métis people are, who don't know what the Métis National Council does or how we do it. Uh, so there's a huge aspect to our work, which is sharing our stories and educating individuals on who we are, where we came from, what our history is, why we're advancing our priorities in this way and what our priorities even are. So every single day, it's finding different ways like this podcast to share that, you know, the Métis Nation is one nation, but we have many stories and who we are, where we came from, and why we are so proud to be who we are as Métis people. Uh, because Métis people are proud and, and we have so much to be proud of. If I think about, you know, those original founders of the Métis National Council 40 years ago, getting to spend some time with some of them over this last year, um, it's, it's really incredible to see what they wanted out of the Métis National Council and, and where we're going and for them to continue to be involved. That means a lot to me because it, it means that we're still moving forward in a good way. If the original founders of the Métis National Council continue to want to be involved in different ways, um, I think that's a good sign. So we have a lot to be proud of. We have a lot of work to continue to do always. There's, there's so much work left to be done to have our rights fully recognized and implemented, to have our stories understood and told. Um, but it's been an absolute 
pleasure. It's been an absolute privilege and an honor uh, to get to do this work um, as the president of the Métis National Council. As the president for the last two years, you've really been in the thick of it, really in the eye of the storm, and they say hindsight is twenty twenty. What advice would you give to your younger self? I would say say yes to hard things. Uh, that's that's something that, I, you know, sometimes I would shy away from as, as a young person. If something sounded like it might be too hard or too challenging, that I would stick within my comfort zone. Um, but, you know, over the last number of years, I've said yes to hard things and some really incredible opportunities have come my way. And like I say, uh, I've always looked for different opportunities to create positive change and to find different ways to fill my own cup. And, and this is one of those opportunities to be the president of the Métis National Council, to have the opportunity to do this work on behalf of the Métis Nation while also getting to travel across the Métis Nation homeland, meeting incredible Métis citizens every single day, getting to hear their stories, getting to hear what they're doing in their communities to create positive change. And and that's all because, you know, I, I said yes to something that I thought would be incredibly challenging and, and is really challenging some days to be the president of the Métis National Council, but it's worth it. So my advice to, to my younger self would be to say yes to hard things. Good advice. Good advice. And what would you like to say to youth that are, that are listening to the podcast? What is your message to me to youth across the nation? To find something that you're passionate about and, and just do it. Um, there are many different ways to be a leader within the Métis Nation. You know, you don't necessarily have to run for political office to be considered a leader within one of our communities, um, to be a leader within the Métis Nation. Um, it's, it's about finding that space where, where you are, are passionate to be and, and pursuing that. And uh, I always say that there's a role for everybody to play. Uh, you know, the Métis Nation, we are in this period of, of nation building and we have the opportunity to create a future for our future generations in which they can be proud to be Métis in ways that, you know, our, perhaps our grandparents couldn't always be. And so, you know, be proud to be Métis, find those areas um, where you're passionate, those sp- areas, those spaces where you are passionate to be, um, pursue that and, and stay involved. Um, don't, don't let anyone dissuade you from stepping into the positions that you think you can make a difference within. Uh, you belong, you are loved, and, and always be proud to be Métis. Perfect, and I think we will leave it there. I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to join us on the podcast today. And uh, yeah, Marcy. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us on this episode of One Nation, Many Stories. Our theme music is called Harry Daniels, named after another outspoken defender of Métis rights. It was composed and performed by the great Métis fiddler, John Arcan. If you like this podcast, please give us a review and rating wherever you listen. It helps others find these conversations. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes including ones focused on Métis veterans, arts, culture, music, language, and more. Merci, Megwitch, merci, and thank you all for listening. Until next time, I'm Matt LeMay.